Welcome to Home Health Revealed. I am your host, Hannah Vale, and my co-host, Michael Greenlee, was not able to be here today. He was actually really upset about it because our guest today is one that I've been wanting to talk to. She is an internationally recognized author, speaker, thought leader, and expert on end-of-life care and the dynamics of dying. She was recognized as 2018 as a hospice innovator by the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization. She was named the 2015 International Humanitarian Woman of the Year by the World Humanitarian Awards. Her experience as a hospice care provider at the bedside of hundreds of people and as an administrator overseeing the care of thousands of people led to the 1985 publication of Gone From My Sight, The Dying Experience. That book is affectionately referred to within this industry as the Little Blue Hospice book. It has sold over 30 million copies worldwide. It is published in 12 languages and remains to be the leading source on the market today to help educate families on the signs of approaching death. She has been in a plethora of interviews, She has written pamphlets and books. She's currently working on a book that I'm excited to get to talk to her about today. She's been in a film in 2015. She was in a film called The New Rules of of End-of-Life Care that was featured in film festivals around the world, and she was the recipient of 10 prestigious film awards. She is eager today to discuss dementia, particularly when to call hospice, but basically if it has to do with death and dying, Barbara Carnes is talking about it. Her articles have been featured in New York Times, USA Today, The Huffington Post, Thrive Global, Washington Post, uh, among a list of others. She has been in this career for over four decades. She began as an early hospice pioneer. In addition to her many years of experience Um, She has also served as executive director of hospice in various home health agencies. She's worked as a patient care manager, clinical director, staff, nurse, and volunteer. She is a dedicated end-of-life educator. She trains professionals, continues to author resources. I just cannot say enough great things about Barbara. I was able to see her in person at a recent conference And I just have to say that hearing her speak has changed the way I view this industry. I hope you can appreciate this unedited version of my conversation that I appreciated so much, Barbara. This is the Home Health Revealed podcast. Hear stories from real industry leaders discussing topics affecting the ever-changing home health industry. Hi, good morning. Good morning, Hannah. Hi. It is so great to finally get to talk to you. So thank you so, so much for agreeing to come on and talk to me. I got to see you in person at the Texas, New Mexico hospice conference. I'm sure you saw a lot of people. I was so impressed and just by what you spoke, I took lots of notes. You brought a humanness to it that I feel like I had just not been feeling. Thank you for that. Well, you're, you're welcome. And, you know, I've been in hospice forever. And what makes me sad is that hospice has become more and more concentrating 
on the regulations, on the billing, on meeting all the rules. And in that energy, they're losing their core. They're losing what they're supposed to be doing. Um, and that really makes me sad. So any opportunity I get to to kind of talk about the the part of the work we do, um, I take that opportunity. It's just not about regulations or the clinical. You know, it's about the heart and the emotion and the fear and all that. Yes. So I, I've gone through your bio. I know I, I've listed out all the things in the intro that you've you've done, you've accomplished, you've written. You're currently working on a new project that won't be out for several months, but I'd like to give you the chance to talk about that. Okay. Just ask me anything and I I will just say whatever comes into my head. It's okay. So I, I know that dementia is one of the things that is talked about on your website. And I have personally um, known several people who have walked through this with their family. I think there are still so many questions around dementia and the dying process and how hospice fits in with that. So when do you suggest calling hospice and what has been your experience walking this through with dementia patients and their families? Well, dementia doesn't play by the rules, the end of life rules. Um, for someone with um, a life-threatening illness, they will will do certain things and that those certain things will start months before death comes, their eating changes, they start sleeping more, they start withdrawing. With dementia, it doesn't play by those rules. Some people can be sleeping all the time for years. Some people can be withdrawn for years. It isn't until eating becomes an issue that really a person enters the dying process. That point where they put the food in their mouth and they just hold it, they forget how to swallow, they start choking. When you don't eat, you can't stay alive. And that's the point that you call hospice because then you know the person's entered the dying process. It's tricky because, because they don't play by the rules. Hospice is often bringing people on really before they've actually entered the dying process. And hospice's rules and regulations are six months, or we can recertify if we can document that the dying process has begun. So what often happens with patients with dementia um, that come on hospice is after six months, nine months, hospice says, I'm sorry, and we have to take you off. So if you are a caregiver 
or a family of someone who's living with dementia and you obviously need help, um, it isn't until eating becomes the issue that I would say you reach out to hospice and ask for a referral. I want to say that our healthcare system overall has not addressed the nationwide problem mm -hmm. of dementia. Um, dementia falls through the cracks. Um, they're, they're not appropriate for home health, which is um, you're going to get better and we're going to help you. And they're not really appropriate for hospice until eating becomes the issue. And yet that space in between where the family, the caregiver is alone and is struggling to take care of this person who's declining. Mm -hmm. um, it just, it's really, really sad. And I hope that at some point we can step forward and give those with dementia their own slot in our care system. And it's not there yet. Is that something that palliative can cover in that in-between to pull in some of that interdisciplinary? Have you seen that being used? Palliative care can be used. Okay. Palliative care doesn't offer um, the additional support that hospice does. Hospice pays for medicine. Hospice provides medical equipment. Um, and palliative care doesn't do that. And so there also... Um, is is the void um, that it's it's expensive mm -hmm. as well not only monetarily but emotionally um, and mentally there's a cost for the caregiver yes and that that's something I I know is covered in some of your books that people are using as resources and I when I publish this I will put a list of your books that are available on your website, but I, I know specifically there are some that cover living while caring for somebody and, and being that friend. Um, and I, I think having those conversations and letting people know that they're not alone, that there is support, that it's okay to have those feelings that they're feeling when they're overwhelmed and working through their own feeling of taking care of somebody else are just so important. I wanted to mention too, the work that you're doing with end-of-life doulas and the new creation of dementia doulas. Yes, this is exciting. Um, let's talk about end-of-life doulas first. And then okay. don't let me forget to, to bring in the, the dementia doula. End-of-life doulas have come into being basically to fill a void that hospice and healthcare has kind of left, um, have, have left empty. And that is time. The end of life doula is outside of our medical model, is outside of the medical system. There's no rules or regulations, although 10 years from now, that might not be true. But right now, they're outside of the medical model. So they're 
goal is to give the time to the patients and the family, time, knowledge, um, support, but mainly they're there. And hospice has the knowledge, but now so do end of life doulas. Hospice has um, the financial support in paying for medication and equipment that do end of life doulas don't, but end of life doulas can be there. What we don't, what I want to get across is that for those of us working in end of life, <clears throat> the moment of death is our goal. Everything we do works up to the moment of death and then our support afterwards gradually decreases. But the moment of death is, is the goal. And the end of life doula has the time to be with the patient and the family during that moment of death. That used to be my job, you know, as and when hospice started out, my job was to be with the family and the patient at the moment of death. But that doesn't happen through hospice most of the time. Right. Most most of the time the patient and family are alone in those hours before and after the death. And so the end of life doula is filling that very important void. And that's why I support them in what they do because they have the time to be at the, at the moment of death uh, and to guide before and after, uh, which is end of life workers, their goal, and I hate to use the word should be, but I'm going to, um, is to help create a sacred experience for the family. And if we can create a sacred experience, then that sacred experience becomes a sacred memory that the family will carry with them forever. Mm -hmm. So I have a couple of questions about that, but before I get there, some of the things that you said in your presentation that really stuck were death can be as beautiful as birth. And you talked about the process. You described it so differently from how I felt it. I felt it as an emptiness. You described it as a fullness. My family and I have recently walked through the death of a, of a very close loved one. And so while I get to see the documentation for a death, when you walk through it and somebody sits at your kitchen table and asks if you're ready for hospice and you sign that NOE and you're talking about options and what you want the end of your life to look or their life to look like, it's very, very personal. And when you were talking about being in a home, um, which a doula would be, that body is taken out of the home. You talked about the bed that was left and how 
you have taken pictures off the wall, you've taken flowers out of an arrangement, you have left a memory, you've left a picture that something beautiful has happened here. That picture for a family is so different than walking into a crumpled bed. And I can only imagine that having a doula right there with you, and and I'm not sure when that person would actually come in. We didn't have that experience personally, um, but I can see how that is so, so valuable. When does that person come in? How do they know to call a doula? Where would they even find one? All right, where to find one? We would use our friend Google. Okay. (laughs) Google end of life doula in Kansas City, Missouri. And you're going to find your doulas. Then you're going to interview several and find the personality that fits for you. You know, so interview them and then choose one. And you want to do that really when the doctor says, we can't fix you. You know, we've tried all the treatment, we've done everything. And at some point soon, you're going to die. Notice I didn't say a number. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes people say, well, three months, six months, dying is so unique and individual, you can't put a number on it. But when the doctor has said, there's no more treatment and we can't fix you, then look up your hospice and look up a doula and have that doula, you interview them. And then when you start, the doula becomes your friend, your support person, your guide through this experience. The doula knows all the signs of approaching death. And so the doula doesn't have a time frame like hospice does. So you can have your doula for a year or two years, a dementia doula for years. You work that out with your doula, but where hospice, you have to really have entered the dying process, which takes months, you know, three Mm -hmm. to four months. But an, an end of life doula, can be with you through this whole journey and stays with you following the death and helps create that sacred memory. Now, in talking about the room, I'm going to go back to that because it's so important. Um, Rooms, buildings carry memories. Mm -hmm. They hold memories. And for someone who dies in a room, for the family, that memory is dad died in this room. And if didn't have the support and the guidance to make it a sacred experience, then every time they walk by that room, they feel the intense, often even horror that dad died in there where if you do certain things with that room clean it up um tidy make the bed put a soft light on something on the pillow 
leave a light on. You don't want them to walk into a dark room. Then every time they walk by that room, they feel the sacredness and it becomes a memorial and not a place of sad, sad memories or scary memories, because they'll always be sad. So take that away. It'll always be sad, but the scary part will be gone. Yeah, I love that. I really did. Did you want to say something else about the dementia doulas? Oh, dementia doulas aren't really official yet. Um, They're being worked on. And you can, um, I don't have with me right now, I should have, but I don't, um, her website, Marianne's website, um, but Google her, Google Dementia Doula and um, get in touch with her, you know, talk to her, pick her brain, see what she, you know, she's working on it. Uh, I don't know how far she is getting with it but it's, it's very much needed. Yes. And I support her and wish her well on this. So a dementia doula though would come in pretty much after the diagnosis, right? Cause you're, you're saying they could be with this, the family for years. My understanding is that when dementia begins affecting the day, day-to-day living, that that would be the time that you plug into a dementia doula who will guide and support um, you during this time, who has more knowledge than the average bear does in relationship to dementia. It will be from not a medical standpoint, but from a support guidance educational standpoint okay yeah I can see how that's so needed and just brings a wealth of knowledge from experience even if it's not clinical Uh, because there's there's fear oh sorry they will have clinical knowledge it's just that they're not regulated or licensed um But they have the knowledge. They have available knowledge on dementia. And what we need to say is that dementia is a symptom. It is not a disease in itself. And so there's all different kinds of diseases that create dementia. I know that there is a fear that comes not just with dementia, but with the entire dying process and the unknowns of the dying process. So one of the things I would like to hear about from you is how your IDT, your interdisciplinary team can reduce the fear around dying when they're working with families and patients. Those of us who work in end of life, that's our work is to neutralize the fear that goes with death and dying. All of us are going to be afraid when it comes time to die. It's just a matter of degree. So our in 90% of our work is education. 
because people don't die like they do in the movies. We don't know unless someone tells us what really dying is like, that there's a process to it. Uh, so we, unless someone guides us and supports us, which is the job of the team to show us that what dad's doing is normal. Dad's dying the way he's supposed to. This is how people die. And he's doing a good job. Nothing pathological is happening. And that's the role of whether it's the a doula or any member of the hospice team is to support that family and get them to the knowledge and the comfort zone that dad's doing a good job. Now, we've got to teach them that this is what dad's going to do. And you mentioned birth and death. So I'm going to touch on that because it helps us see the normalness of dying. You know, everybody dies. We're born, we experience, and then we die. It's the name of the game. When we are born, we go through labor to get into this world. It, some women sneeze, out pops the baby. And <laughs> yeah. other women 36 hours later. And then think about this baby who comes into the world. And at first, that baby gets water. And then the baby gets milk. And then the baby gets soft foods. And then gradually that baby gets to a point of eating what we consider normal. The baby socially, first off, it's just the mom. And then it branches to the family. And you see where I'm going with this. Mm -hmm. The same with withdrawal. The baby starts out totally within and then gradually opens up and learns um, how to smile and then how to creep and crawl, you know, that, all right, now turn that around. And on the other end of life, we start withdrawing from that active life until we reach a point we go completely within. We start sleeping gradually, a nap, an afternoon nap, morning nap, until we're asleep all the time. Mm -hmm. And then we gradually stop eating uh, meats and fruits and vegetables and we get to soft foods and then liquids and then in the weeks one to three weeks before death our labor begins and we work to get out of our body and then in the minutes to hours we actually see that birth into the other world. If people can understand the normalness of dying, then we've neutralized the fear. Why do you think people don't see the normalness of dying? Wow, that's that's a good a good question. Let me think about that for a minute. Um, 
Because most of our life, I think, is spent on a gerbil wheel. We go round and round just doing all the things we think are important uh, to, to live each day. The idea of that ending is, is almost, be, well, maybe it is, is beyond our comprehension. And so when we look at death, we can't comprehend what goes on the other side. I mean, no one really knows because they haven't come back and said. Um, so that fear of the unknown, I think, is what makes us, that creates the fear that we all have, that nothingness, that never again, I'll never again see mom, you know. Um, I think that is is what we carry with us and creates a lot of that fear. So when this interdisciplinary team is going in at and during the hospice process and they're educating and talking to families, what are some specific things they can do, very practical things, to form that relationship because a lot of times it's, I'm walking into your house and I've never met you, but I'm going to care for you in a very deep way. So they're building a relationship quickly, have to build that credibility, hopefully with ease, but in a way that makes a difference. How, are, what are some suggestions for things they can do? I think you bring your personhood rather than your job position when you get to that front door and you knock on the door and they open it. Touch first, reach out, shake hands. Hi, I'm Barbara and I'm gonna be your hospice nurse or I'm Diane and I'm gonna be your, your hospice social worker, you know, and touch. And then when you go into the room, you know, it's let's sit down in the living room and let's get acquainted. Um, and don't sit across the room, sit together on the sofa, be close and just have a conversation. Tell me what's going on. Get into that personhood because then you're establishing a connection. All right. And then at some point, you're going to have to pull out the paperwork. You're going to have to pull that out, but get the personhood first. And on every subsequent visit, you want to sit, you don't just go in if, as a nurse and look at the physical and assess it and okay, goodbye. You yeah. sit down and you visit and you develop that relationship, just like you develop a relationship with your new next door neighbor. You know, you're working on creating a bond. And we so often in the medical profession concentrate on our medicalness and not our humanness. And I want you to look at your humanness first. And that's a tool. Use that tool just like you would if you were trying to make a friend, a new friend next door. 
I want to talk about the new project that you're working on. Can you tell me about it, what you're excited about, how it's going, what prompted you to do it? The new project is a book, not a pamphlet, but a book book. For years, my kids have said, mom, you've got so many stories. You ought to tell your stories. So I'm telling my stories. Now I've written them. I've put all the stories down um, that I've had uh, over the years. And now I am working to make it readable, if that makes any sense at all. Um, so it's it's probably going to be come out next year. It's probably okay. going to take that long. Uh, right now I'm working daily with someone and we're someone being my son, who's amazing, wonderful. And so he's from a non-medical, non-hospice perspective. He's asking questions. What does this mean in your story where you say? And so that I can um, just get it from my perspective. And what he keeps saying is, yes, you are a teacher, mm -hmm. but this isn't what this book is about. What you're telling me is this book is about your interactions with people and life situations. And so put the teacher aside and tell your story. And that's hard for me because I've been a teacher forever. You know, well, that's not true, but for 40, 50 years, I've been a teacher. Yeah. You've really been a pioneer in the hospice world. And I, when I look back on the history of hospice, it's really a new idea of allowing people to die at home and allowing them the comfort and different aspects of support. How have, I can only imagine the changes that you've seen over these last few decades. I mean, it's been what, over four decades, you said, right? Yeah. Yes. What are some of the things that stick out to you as pivotal or like landmark moments? Landmark moments for hospice or landmark mark moment moments for me? Either one. Okay. In the 70s, no, I'm going to go back and say that it used to be grandma lived at home and grandma died in the upstairs bedroom and we were there and we supported her. We, when she died, we washed her body and we laid it out in the parlor and family and friends and came. And it was natural. We were there when grandma died. When hospitals really became into play, then grandma, when she was sick, was moved to a hospital. And there she died. And we weren't there to watch, to support, to be with her, to then carry with us the, uh, the knowledge of normal death. And then hospitals got to a place where people went from a hospital to a nursing home, a rehab facility, mm -hmm. um, assisted living. There they died. And we still weren't there. Then in the 70s, hospice and it was dame cicely saunders in england who mm -hmm. came 
forward and said, we're not taking care of our dying. You know, they're off in a corner somewhere. And she said, you know, we're going to have a place for people who are dying and we're going to live the best they can. And America took that idea, but America didn't have any reimbursement source, uh, but it developed a hospice different than England's, but it was done with volunteers. Mm -hmm. It was done with money, you know, fundraisers. Um, and we spent time with our patients and the family because people died in the hospital at the end of the hall. Um, no one real, no one in the medical profession really knew the dying process. Mm. And so it was hospice in its beginning days when we were spending hours and hours with patients and families for months, we discovered there's a process to dying. People do certain things at certain times when death is approaching. Hospice is what figured that out. And with that, um, the early days of hospice were truly, I want to say, exciting from a learning standpoint, uh, from a venturing into the unknown mm -hmm. standpoint. And now, today, people are reaping the benefits of what we learned, what our patients taught us, what the people who were dying taught us on how natural death occurs. It was the idea of living life to the fullest during your last days, or was it more of supporting death? It was the key thing was really to live until you're not. And we will help you live your best life until you're not. And our, our medical model uh, addresses diseases that people have. And the end of life model addresses people that have diseases. Mm. And I think that's the biggest gift that Dame Cicely Saunders, who began this whole movement, gave us is to look at the humanity and to help a person live, you know, have the dog, have the cat, have a glass of wine, you know, to live the best you can until you're not. And that's, I see the gift that she gave us and that has evolved into the end of life movement. I know a lot of people talk about the little blue book that has been iconic um, for the hospice discipline. What is it that you want? What is that message that you want to have come out of the work that you've done overall? 
overall, the message I think is that there are just two ways to die, gradual or fast. Fast death is getting hit by a truck. Gradual death is a disease or old age. And that there is this process to dying. I want to neutralize the fear that everyone brings to the process, to the moment. And I wrote the blue book, Gone From My Sight, for my families so that they would have something when I wasn't there um, that would they could look at and go, oh, yeah, here's dad. He's breathing, you know, uh, start and stop breathing. Oh, that says he's here in the process. And so it was a guide. And then when hospice um, began spending less time with the patients uh, and more and more families were alone at the moment of death and in the hours before death, I wrote the 11th hour, which guides the family. Gone from my sight says, here's what's happening. Mm -hmm. And the 11th hour says, here's what you can do as a family while it's happening. And then every time an issue came up um, in the end of life that I thought should be addressed, dementia, pain, um, how about taking care of yourself? as a caregiver, as a professional, you know, all uh, grief, you know, what's normal grieving and what do you do? So every time I saw an area that I thought needed to be addressed, I addressed it. I wrote a booklet about mm -hmm. it. And those have been well-received and well-used. Um, those have been resources that hundreds and thousands have used. So thank you for that. And before I knew who you were as a person, um, you know, my family received a copy of a book. And I remember my mom screenshotting with her phone and, and sending out in group messages, you know, kind of here's where I think we are. And we weren't able to all be together in the same room while um, my grandfather died. Um, but I did get to FaceTime, you know, she, she had the wherewithal and the hospice nurse also had the wherewithal to say, it's time for you to say your goodbyes. I'm going to put you on FaceTime. And so I was able to walk through that in a very real way. And so I think it's just given me a very different perspective and appreciation for what you do, what hospice nurses do, and really what an interdisciplinary team does, because I don't discount that there is kind of this continuum of home health and then palliative that came in and then hospice once we were at that point. And all of those caregivers have a role, have a place, have educational guidelines that they were able to give and that were just so helpful and so timely. Most of our listeners on Home Health Revealed are agency owners, um, clinical staff or people who are giving direct care to patients. And so uh, this information, this conversation has been so meaningful for me. I, I hope it's been a good platform for you to get to share. Um, but I just want to give you the space to share anything else that you would want to say to that audience. We, 
I, I think that we touched on a wide area and I love it that we've covered so much today. I think the bottom line is neutralizing the fear mm -hmm. that we carry, all of us carry into um, the end of life arena. When it comes to time for grandma or mom or me to die, that is such unknown territory that we need the resources for support. And that's what hospice and end of life doulas and palliative care and home health are about. I have uh, among my literature, um, what I call the family caregiver bundle. And it's all of the booklets and uh, there's a DVD, all everything put together to assist, to educate and to neutralize the fear. Knowledge reduces fear. If we can teach people, it will reduce the fear they bring. So I have this, I wanna get the name right, family support bundle. Okay. And that will, will give families um, the tools. And you wanna get that when the doctors have said, I'm having trouble fixing you. Okay. I'll be sure and link that. Um, I also have links to share with listeners. You're on Facebook, you're on Instagram, you're on LinkedIn. Um, you have a wealth of information on your website. I know I, I read several blogs and kind of did a nice deep dive. I'm looking forward to your book coming out next year. I know it's got to go through an editing process and all the things, but I'm, I'm anxious to hear about all of your experience and get to listen to the stories. And um, I'm sure it, it will boost not just like faith in what they're doing, but the motivation and, and be very inspiring. So I can't wait to hear it, um, read it. Thank you so, so much. Thank you from, from me personally, but also from our listeners. I know that these conversations, they're, they're meaningful. And I, I mean that in such a way that I'm not able to convey, but for people who have walked through it, for people who are working in it every day, having a resource like you that is caring, who can walk people through practical things of just something as simple as sitting beside somebody on a couch, as opposed to across from them. I think when you go into those situations, when you experience that stuff, having somebody to guide you is so incredible. Hospice nurses, they have a calling. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I really do believe that. And that's not my calling, but I'm grateful for the people that they are and for the families. I, I have to imagine that when you are a hospice nurse, when you're a hospice care worker, your family carries some of that as well because it's emotional. They have their own set of grief, I'm sure. And so, you know, a coffee date may turn into, I, I'm so sorry, but I have a patient that needs me today and I've got to be there for the day. Coffee can wait. So it, I'll say it interferes with their life, but it is their life. 
it is their life. Yeah, it is. So I just, I appreciate you. I have had a great time. You know, I enjoyed talking with you and I think we've done some good work today. 